All right, we are on the theme of leadership today. We've been in this message series where we are walking through the one gigantic story that God has been telling in the history of mankind, and we're pulling out pieces of history from each of the stories of the people that God chose to work through and learning from it. So today we're looking at leadership. Uh, it's a crucial element that brings blessing or trouble to followers in families, in church life, in workplaces. Uh, it, it's, it's, an important, it's an important role that leaders have in the lives of the people under them. And the way the leadership works, it works like an umbrella. If there are holes in the leader's approach... Uh, to life and leadership, then the rain and the trouble just pours through without the holes provide shelter. Moms are a very significant part of our story. And so I think it's, it's appropriate that we're talking about leadership on Mother's Day. Uh, they lead, moms lead their children in a thousand important ways as they grow from infants on into adulthood. So this, this is a holiday I can get behind. Some of the made-up holidays, not too sure about. Okay, I think I think the greeting card companies have you know trumped up a few. But this one I can really get behind honoring our moms uh, for the love and the leadership that they pour out to their kids. And it's right. It's scripture says to honor your father and your mother is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you. All the days of your life. So this, this, is, this is tied to our well-being, honoring our, our parents and our moms. And so, hey, I think this is a great idea. As we look at leadership, what you find is every leader leaves a wake behind them. It's either a wake that those who follow can enjoy and learn from, or it's a choppy kind of wake that's tumultuous and causes the followers to fall and struggle to keep moving. This is how we experience leadership in families, at work, in church life, in ministry. It's like we're skiing behind the wake of the leader that it's either enjoyable or difficult. The leader either brings blessing or trouble as we follow behind them. And leadership is the way that God rules the world. This, this, he, he delegates authority to leaders of nations, families, churches, workplaces, and so on. And to the extent that the leadership aligns with God's truth and ways, the people under them are blessed. That's, that's the measuring rod. God's truth and ways. What you find in Scripture is that God guides through the leaders he puts in place. Now, leaders are interwoven throughout the history of the people of Israel. And the painful part, honestly, about this series is there are so many great stories we're fast-forwarding past. <laughs> you know, we started, with, we started on Easter with the resurrection, crucifixion, resurrection. Then we went back, we went all the way back to the beginning of time, looked at creation, what we can learn from that. Then we started looking at Abraham's life and Moses then 
last week we're on Joshua, who led the people to conquer the promised land. This week, we are having to skip, and it's painful, we're having to skip over a lot of great stories. But what happens in the life of Israel, the history of Israel, is uh, leaders begin to have more and more of an impact on the people who are following them. And so what we're going to do is pull out one of those stories that shows how crucial leadership is and how God guides through the leaders, not around the leaders, but through the leaders that he puts in place. Leaders are interwoven throughout the history of the people of Israel as they are the world, and they, they turn out to be integral to the success or failure of the nation or the realm over which they lead. You see three prominent roles of leaders in the Bible. First, they're priests. Their role was to represent the people to God and God to the people. People served in the sacrifice, or priests served in the sacrificial system that God established to cover the sins of the people. So when a person sinned, they would offer a sacrifice to seek forgiveness and make things right with God. This, this whole system, we've been talking about the theme of sacrifice that you see from the very beginning of time that God's been weaving into history to point us to the ultimate sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross, the once and for all sacrifice that he made. The second kind of leader we see are kings. These are political leaders whose spiritual leadership and obedience to God or not greatly impacted the nation of Israel. We're going to see today how kings became a part of the nation's history, and it was not God's preferred method of rule. This, this was not what God wanted. Uh, he, wanted a, he wanted to lead Israel another way. But this is what they chose. He allowed them to have it. This is how God is. He, he, he gives us life. He gives us stewardships. In other words, he trusts us with different parts of our lives. And he lets us make decisions on whether or not we're going to do it his way or our way. Israel chose their own way, and we'll see what happens next. Um, the third kind of leader that you see in the Old Testament are prophets. They speak God's truth. They tell about God's desires, warnings, judgments, and give specific direction to God's people. God raised up people, uh, prophets often. When his people were off track, they'd be wandering. He'd raise up a prophet to speak the truth to them to give a warning to them, to give perspective on their dire circumstances in the hopes that they would come back to him. The prophets gave warnings and other commentary of God's perspective on the circumstances they were in. There's another kind of leader that wasn't as prominent. It was a very brief period of Israel's history where there were judges. And judges played a role... Uh, as men and women who were handpicked by God to lead in the need of the moment. So you begin to see in the book of Judges, which is about the Judges. Hey, it's a pretty good name. Matches. Um, you see a cycle. It started, the, the Israelites, people of Israel who 
really represent all of us. We're all like this. But they started with loving obedience to God. Things would go well. Things would be, life would be good. They would dip off into rebellion. They would dive into rebellion against God. God would bring oppression as consequence. The people would repent and then they would go back to obedience. God. This cycle plays over and over and over again in the, in the story of the judges in the history of Israel. When the people got off track of following God, he'd raise up a judge to lead them. Where we're starting in the story today, a man named Samuel was a judge. He was a very good man, good leader. But Israel became dissatisfied with the arrangement of this whole judge thing. Uh, because Samuel was a good man, but his his sons were wicked. He was getting too old to judge, and his sons were wicked. And so here's here's what happens. Look at 1 Samuel 8. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Behold, you, you are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations." But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, God, give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord, and the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the Lord, the voice of the people and all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. According to all their deeds that they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me, and serving other gods, so they are also doing to you. Now then, obey their voice, only you shall solemnly warn them, and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. Interesting scenario, isn't it? People ask for a king. This isn't what God wants, but he lets them have what they want. In this request, we learn some very important lessons about following God. In verse 5, the statement is made, now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the other nations. They didn't turn to God and ask for guidance to deal with the leadership vacuum. They saw what was going on. Sons of Samuel were wicked. They weren't going to lead in the right way. They didn't check with God. But they came up with their own plan based on their own wisdom for fixing the situation. God let them, let them go it on their own. This is how God is. He lets us choose. Second problem was related to motive. They wanted to be like all the other nations. God's people always need to swim against the current of the world, the world system. The Bible uses the term world in different ways. First, world re- refers to the earth, uh, the world and the people that he's created in it. Uh, is one way that the world is spoken about, talked about in Scripture. But last week we looked at our enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil. And the world is also, particularly in the New Testament, referred to as a system of beliefs and values that are opposite of the Lord's values and truth. And so what's happening here is the Israelites, they want to be like everybody else. That's a very dangerous place to be. It's very dangerous to want to 
be like the rest of the world. We always, if you decide to follow Christ, one of the things you can count on is the need to swim against the current of the world's system of beliefs and values. We shouldn't be driven to conform to the world's way. Israel chose a king based on outward appearance, we find, and didn't consider his heart. This was a huge mistake. This this is a big problem. The character of a leader impacts the followers under them for better or for worse. As the leader goes, so goes the nation, the family, the church, the workplace. Our, Our leaders have a tremendous influence over our well-being in life and whether or not we enjoy it. Presidents, parents, pastors, bosses, they bless or bring trouble on their people. And we need to keep this in mind as we lead in different ways, as we parent our kids, as we maybe lead a team here at Church Life where you have responsibility, people under you at work. You, you have a tremendous responsibility before God to lead in a way that lines up with his truth and his ways, the way that he would want you to do that, because it's through your umbrella over your realm of leadership that God is going to bring either blessing or trouble. This is, this is woven all through Scripture. You see this theme. You see this truth played out. <clears throat> so God gave Israel the king they chose, whose name was Saul. And as I said, they looked on the outside. They did, didn't consider the inside of this man, the character of this man. He was taller than most, you find in Scripture. He seemed like the perfect specimen of a man that would make a great king. But problems showed up early on. Before a major battle, Saul was instructed to wait for Samuel, the judge that I was just referring to. He was instructed to wait for Samuel to arrive so the prophet slash judge could offer a sacrifice and a prayer before battle. Here's what happened. He waited seven days. He waited a week. Samuel was supposed to be there. He waited a week. The time was appointed by Samuel for him to show up. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattering from him. So he's, what's happening is they're, they're about to fight a battle against the Philistines. These guys were huge. They were horrendous people, savage, seriously. And so they were about to fight the Philistines, and Saul is getting concerned because his troops start scattering. He's waiting, waiting. Samuel doesn't show up. So Saul says, bring the burnt offering here to me and the peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering. As soon as he had finished offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came. And Saul went out to meet him and to greet him. So he, he runs ahead of God. Saul was scared. He was impatient. He was getting worried. And he overstepped his God-given role to do the right thing in the wrong way, in the wrong time. When we think God is taking too long, it's very easy to try to go around Him, 
try to push it, to force it, to, to press ahead, to do what we think needs to be done, to fix the problem ourselves and not wait on him. This is what Saul does. The, the prophet confronts the king. Samuel said, what have you done? And Saul said, when I saw that the people were scattering from me and that you did not come within the days appointed and that the Philistines had mustered at Michmash, I said, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal and I have not sought the favor of the Lord. So I forced myself. He forced it. I forced myself and offered the burnt offering. And Samuel said to him, you have done foolishly. Now, it's important to understand what this word foolish means in this, in this passage. Foolish in the Hebrew that this was originally written in means to do something out of blind desire without considering the consequences. And that's what Saul does. As a leader, I bless those under me in my family life, at work, in the church's ministry, if I am careful to know God's way and do it, this stabilizes my leadership. If I'm, if I'm careful to wait on God, to trust Him, to walk in faith, to wait for Him to provide, to do things His way, that stabilizes my leadership. If we wait on God in faith, He will work out His purpose and He will provide. I have a memory that reminds me of of this tendency that leaders have to take care of things their own way. We moved into a brand new townhome oh, a long time ago. When, you know, I, I feel young until I start thinking out back to how long ago things were. <laughs> but we moved into this townhome. I think it was about 1990, 91, something like that. I can remember this like it was yesterday. We had a, a kitchen, and off the kitchen there was, there was a little kitchen dining area, and then in the other room was a, a formal dining room. And Cindy and I saw this little kitchen dining area, and we could see ourselves enjoying breakfast around a little dinette, and so we went shopping. Now, I didn't have the money for a dinette at the time, but we, could, we had a vision. Okay, we had the vision. We could see it around this little dinette. We were going to really enjoy this, and it was going to be fantastic. So we went and we saw the perfect dinette for that little area. It was awesome. I got out my credit card. I paid for it and brought it all home, got it set up. Not more than a week later, the landlords whom we knew personally, they were friends of ours, called and said they had a dinette that they used to use in that part of the house that we could have for free without having to pay payments. And when we saw it, it was the exact same dinette. Okay, that hurts. But that is, that is discipline that I needed from God. And this is what, this is what we do. We, we have a problem. We, we know what God would want us to do. 
We could wait on him, but we run ahead. When we run ahead, we get in trouble. We, we're on our own. And we end up paying for things we don't need to pay for. If you wait on God, he provides. But you run ahead of him and you're on your own. This, this is how it is in life. This is how it is with leaders. And sometimes leaders can drag their people through some really rough circumstances because they wouldn't wait. We need to know God's time. We need to know his ways. We need to know his truth so that we can follow him as we lead the people around us. There are consequences for Saul's foolishness. Look, look at the consequences. First Samuel 13 You have not kept the command of the Lord your God with which he commanded you, for then the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people, because you have not kept what the Lord has commanded you. There are consequences to Saul for his choice. It's interesting, the next guy they chose, you know, Saul's this big strapping dude, you know, looks like, you know, good leader. The next guy's this short little teenage guy, David, who had the heart of a lion and won some major victories for the country in war. So God, God, when he chose David, the next guy says, you chose Saul by looking at the outside, the outward appearance. But I look through all that to the heart of a person. And that's what matters to me. As we follow God, what matters to him is that we give ourselves to him in our heart of hearts. That we're willing to wait. That we're willing to do it his way. Sometimes it doesn't make sense to us. Sometimes to wait is is really hard, difficult. But if we'll wait on him, he comes through. The kings of Israel brought blessing or trouble throughout their history, throughout the history of the kingdom. Here's a quick overview of the kings of Israel. Saul, they say, had no heart. We went through a a walk through the Bible, and they, they gave little names to these kings, as we would that some of us went through it a while back. Um, Saul, no heart. The first king didn't have a heart for God at all. He was a good-looking guy, but that didn't help his leadership one bit. God chose the next king, David, who had a whole heart. David wasn't perfect. He messed up royally. But he admitted his sin, and he got back on track each time, and Israel was blessed under his leadership. They rose to glory. Solomon was half-hearted toward God. He was David's son, but he had half a heart toward God. He had legendary wisdom, and he accomplished spectacular things during his reign, but his sinful, divided heart spoiled the end of his life. And you could see how choices he made to to compromise on God's way and God's truth early in his life began to create more and more of a separation between himself and God. And he ended up being completely divided toward God, disobedient toward God. And what God did in response was he divided the kingdom. So there was a division after Solomon. The kingdom was divided into two, the south and the north. 
The south was Judah, the north was Israel. Of the 20 kings of Judah, 60% were evil. 12 of the 20 kings were wicked. Of the kings of Israel, of the 19 kings, 100% were evil. They never factored God into their choices at all. They just did what they wanted and led however they saw fit. This brought an end to the kingdom of Israel. We, we don't talk about the kingdom of Israel anymore in, in the same way. Since the fall of man in the garden that we looked at several weeks ago, leaders have been a mixed bag. Good, bad, wicked. And they impact those under them in a, in a tremendous way. There's a tremendous amount of impact on the people under the leaders over them. As followers, we need to realize that our response to imperfect leadership can multiply our trouble. So we have to be careful how we respond. When a leader disappoints, we have to wrestle down all kinds of things, all sorts of responses. Sometimes we want to wallow in despair and give in to complaining, and this can sour our interaction with the leader. We chafe under their leadership. We begin to resent them. leads to bitterness, and that creates all kinds of problems. It's a source of all, all kinds of stuff gets birthed out of there. If we think the leader is doing a poor job or maybe their plans don't match up with our preferred way or they're too slow to do something we, we think they need to do right now, we might overstep our bounds. We step in to fix a problem without the authority to do it. And when we do that, we're on our own. We're out from under the umbrella of authority that God has put in place and we're on our own. We have no grace out there, no help from God, no strength to do it from him. We, we can do this on our job, in the home, in church life, on teams we, we serve on, help with, in groups. Sometimes we can just choose a stubbornness toward leaders that really bogs things down, makes it very difficult on them. Rather than getting on board and following the direction and decisions that the leaders set, we start digging our heels in just because we can. We become an anchor that blocks progress, and that's not good for anyone. Another common response is just to pick up and move. You have a poor leader. You start to rail against their leadership. You don't like the decisions they're making. You don't like their attitude and the way they approach different things. And you're just out of there. Sometimes people quit jobs as soon as they get frustrated with the leadership at some level. I mean, I think there are all kinds of irritations and frustrations that are normal between leaders and followers. But everybody has sort of a gauge. And when it gets to this level, I'm out of here. I can't take you anymore. I'm gone. I'm leaving. Before doing something rash, I would encourage you to know what you can expect God to do in this situation and face also your own part of the blame before you check out. How we respond to leadership impacts the quality of our lives to a great extent. So like I said, God guides people through the leaders he puts in place. God is often shaping our character through the leader. We don't, we don't often take this 
perspective or have this perspective natively. It's what you find in Scripture. But what God's doing is he's shaping our character through the leader one way or the other, through their wisdom or folly. God uses our leaders to train and refine us and to grow our faith. Because sometimes we're thinking, God, hurry up. Would you do something? Would you fix this person? Would you change this? Would you do this? And we're waiting and waiting and waiting. And we have to trust God to come through for us in spite of maybe the poor choices the leader's making. Now, there are limits on following for sure. We don't follow a leader into sin and wrongdoing, but most of the time, that's not necessarily the problem. We just don't want to follow at all. There are legitimate situations that come up, and the best move could be to get out from under a specific leader. Before making that kind of move, however, we need to understand what the Bible says about commitments and vows and what he's doing in the situations. We should always consider first our part in the mess. If I move, will the trouble follow me because I'm going to be wherever I go? I need to consider that. If you can't follow the boss with a whole heart, in our society, we have the freedom to move. So if you can't follow the boss and you can't get behind what they're doing, it may be the best thing to get another job. What you can't do as a follower of Christ is stay on that job and rebel or rail against it or dig your heels in or cause all kinds of other problems for the leader. That's not honoring to the Lord. So... We have to decide. If they're doing wrong, it's definitely right to move. God works in our lives through our leaders, and we need to follow well. The prophets of Israel, I mentioned the three different kinds of of leaders, the priests and the prophets and the kings. The prophets of Israel brought God's perspective to bear on circumstances. They warned, they rebuked, they corrected the people. But always in their rebuke or correction, there would be a message of hope. They, they would tuck it in. God would have them. They would be speaking from God. They would be God's words. And he would always give a message of hope. And they often pointed to the end of history when God is going to make it all good. He's going to make it all right. Everything's going to be made right by God for eternity. Now, I'm going to talk about this more in two weeks. We're going to dig into uh, eternity and what God has to say about that, which is our hope. What you need to learn and what we need to grasp as followers of Christ, we don't follow him so our life is easy here and now. We follow him so he can fulfill his purpose through us, which brings a great deal of meaning to my life right now. If I get up and my goal is to have it easy for God to make my life a piece of cake so that I can really enjoy what's going on and all the things that are happening around me, I'm going to be sorely disappointed. This is this is not God's intent for life here and now. God's intent for our lives right here and now is if you've decided to follow Christ, what he wants you to do is 
learn what he thinks about life, what you should be doing, your purpose in life, set out to fulfill that purpose. And when life gets hard, you press through because the hope is in the next life, not this life. And we're going to talk about that in a couple weeks. But here's a message of hope that follows a scathing rebuke by the prophet Jeremiah. It's a scathing rebuke of the priests and the kings of Israel. And the rebuke also shows how God holds uh, leaders accountable in a more severe way than followers for obeying him. Here's the promise that followed the warning to the leaders. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely, and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. So in spite of the evil kings and the self-absorbed priests, God was working and preparing his people for Jesus, who would establish a secure kingdom forever. This, This is what Jeremiah is saying here. In the same way, we can trust God to be working out His purpose in and through our lives and even through imperfect and maybe evil leadership. The far majority of the leaders in the Bible had major flaws. This is encouragement to me as a leader. <laughs> they, 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 had, they had flaws. But God used them. His purpose moved on. In spite of their flaws, in spite of their weaknesses, in spite of their struggles. Some came from righteous parents, some had godly advisors, but many were determined to have life their own way. And they wouldn't humble themselves. This didn't keep God from working out his plan in the lives of his followers. God, God will do what God will do. He, he has the ability to do that. So followers then can trust God to be working in and through the leadership over them to fulfill his purpose in history and in our own lives. So we follow. We follow in faith. We trust God. We don't expect everything to be perfect here and now. We look for that day when God's going to wrap up history and make it all good before him. I'd like to take a moment as we wrap up the message to think about our next steps. Uh, Here are a couple suggestions. The first one is to make it a joy for, you can write in their name uh, at the end of the listening guide. Make it a joy for, name of my leader, by, maybe God's spoken to you, either as, as a leader or a follower, about some way that you've been out of step with God's ways. And you need to get back in God's ways. Write that out there. Another step would be to trust God with a whole heart and hope in him alone. Not any leader at all, but him. Take a moment, if you would, to complete the connection card that was in your program or to mark any of these next steps. We'd we'd love to know about it and pray with you about those things. When the offering ushers come around, we're about to receive the offering, you can drop the card in the offering basket. That'd be great. Next week, the message is titled Redemption. 
So we're going to answer the question, what is God's plan for redeeming the world and how does that make a difference for my life today? This is what we're digging into next week. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for the truth we see in your word that really does help us and guide us. Thank you, God, that you're patient and you're kind and you're gracious and you allow us to make our own choice of whether to follow you or not. And I pray, God, that you would give us the wisdom to choose your ways, to line up with your truth and bless those who are under our leadership and allow us to follow those who are over us in leadership. God, help us with this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.